you tired of brands marketing at you like you're a computer, not a human? We believe there's more to this business than worshiping at the feet of the algorithm. We're three marketers, Matt Banker, Paige Worthy, and David Hepburn. Marketing can be empathetic, ethical, and effective all at once. I am a fighter. This is Hello First Name, a marketing podcast for thinking, feeling humans. Hello and welcome to Hello First Name, the marketing podcast for thinking, feeling humans. Before we get started, um, you can find all of our episodes, including YouTube recordings, uh, as well as a way to subscribe for email updates on the show on our website. The URL is hellofirstnamepod.com. My name is Paige Worthy. I am a story brand certified guide and radically empathetic marketing consultant. I work with businesses owned by people who give a shit and specialize in marketing strategy, brand messaging, voice and tone, and copy. Hey, I'm David Hepburn. I am the Chief Creative Officer at Hepburn Creative Inc. We are a video production company based in San Diego, California, that works with businesses and nonprofits all over the world to create high-end videos to help them do their mission, which we believe every company and nonprofit should be changing the world. And I'm Matt Banker. I have a company that does story brand websites called Banker Creative and another company called Benchmark Growth Marketing that does marketing for accounting firms. So nice, narrow. So sexy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so why are we here? Um, my gentleman co-hosts and I all believe that marketing can be empathetic, ethical, and effective all at the same time. And every week we focus on a specific topic that helps us get back to that aim. So today, Today, we are taking a deep dive into dark social, a topic that is way less seedy and way less related to Lord of the Rings than any of us would like. <laughs> and that deep dive is going to be led by none other than Matt Banker, the king of dark social. And um, no. <laughs> I'm going to be doing the devil's advocate style grilling because uh, I have... Matt has endured some gentle ribbing from me related to dark social on LinkedIn and in our private conversations. Um, but it's an idea that I'm coming around to. So Matt, to start us off, can you break down what dark social actually means? Yeah, well, first I'll say I, I'm not the king of dark social. It's not my term. Uh, there's there's a guy on LinkedIn named Chris Walker who's really been talking about this a lot. He's with a company called Refine Labs uh, and has a really, I think, interesting uh, insight into this idea of dark social. Essentially, dark means it's it's channels and places where we can't, as marketers, track attribution and analytics. And social is there's a there's a community or a, a social aspect. Sometimes that's you know, one to many, uh, honestly, podcasts are a great example of dark social. We can't, we can't say so-and-so listened to a podcast and then they went to our website and then booked a call. Um, so it can be one to many, or it can be one to one. So if I go to a Slack channel and I send Paige a message and say, Hey, who do you use for your, uh, I don't know, bookkeeping software. That's a, that's another yeah. example. And uh, you and have, it, it's a, I, I, I have, have those conversations all the time, software, but 
Yeah, and and actually, I think the thing that's important to know is that everybody is having those conversations, and there's been a change in the way. I shouldn't, maybe not a change, an acceleration in the way that people are using these dark social channels because we we really have more access to our peers. So people who have similar job titles or uh, or you know jobs in general, we have access to them through these places that marketers can't intrude on. So no one can send, no marketer can put ads in this private Slack channel, which is really great. And when there are people who are like, you know, promoting themselves in those channels, we all hate them. We want to get rid of them because <laughs> it feels like, you know, you want this peer-to-peer -peer space. Uh, and those have been developing during the pandemic, especially. We, we used to have more in-person connections. Now, so many of our connections are through digital means, and we're not really going backwards uh, and getting right. rid of those. We're, we're right. just continuing to use them at, even as things change again. Do you think that part of the, maybe the rise in dark social came not just out of, hey, we're going remote, we're spending a ton more time on our computers, but people just really craving connection and preferring to have conversations with people rather than just like sending Google searches out into the ether. Like, do you think that played a part? Yeah, I think, I think the thing that happened is we went through a time when the internet had a lot of information and it was it was a useful it was a useful venue to go and look for stuff but we didn't ever trust searches as much as we trusted our friends we just didn't have access to enough of our friends who knew enough about what we needed so like i have a lot of people in my mm -hmm. life who don't know anything about marketing and so i can't go to my facebook feed and ask about advice but now i have tons of access to people who know a lot about the things yep. that i'm doing for my job and i this is especially true in the b2b marketing space probably more than in like b2c that's business to business marketing and business to consumer marketing. Uh, try not to use too many acronyms here. And so there is a desire for that connection, but ultimately I think it, it has a lot to do with the way that we're actually wired as humans. We want to find, we want to have advice from people that we trust more than yes. Google searches, even review sites. You know, we, I think a lot of things just implicitly, we, we kind of know that you know, people are gaming reviews. We don't know which ones are true and which ones aren't, but there's this underlying feeling yep. of like, I can't actually trust the yeah. Amazon reviews. I can't, I don't know oh who's my God. just invested in really great SEO to get to the top of these listings right. versus who actually has a good product. And right. so we rely on people that we, that we know or that we have a yeah. connection to. Or who said, here's here, we'll give you the product if you review it, or we'll give you yep. a $5 gift card if you review it. So there, there were some businesses that will be super transparent about the fact that like, hey, we sent this person a free product or like I got incentivized for writing a right. review, but most don't. And I think that's fine. I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong sure. with sending someone a product or a service and saying, hey, would you review this? I think what we, I think to Matt's point, you want in, in our like, closer relationships in life, there's a there's an expected transparency within that of authenticity mm -hmm. that at least in my life, I, I surround myself or I try to surround myself with those people who are authentic because that's what all of us hope for to have in our lives. I feel like we're wired, mm -hmm. we're wired that way. And so, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with that model, but it's the transparency and the expected authenticity that when it when we are deceived or when we are um, 
tricked into believing something. Mm -hmm. That's where we've gotten, we've all gotten a lot more skeptical. And I know for me now, it's less about reviews. You know, now that now I, I've heard the advice, throw out the one star and the five star reviews, yep. just mm -hmm. throw them out. Got it. And you're Go looking right for the two, three, four. And the other thing that I look for now, especially when like shopping online is I look for number of reviews because it doesn't matter yeah. to me if a, if a company has four or five stars on a product, if like 23 people have reviewed it, I'm looking for the ones that have like 23,000 because I know that at least that product is popular enough to be ordered that many times. Yeah. And then hopefully the review, the ratio of how it bears out of one, two, three, four, five stars reflects more accurately what mm -hmm. I can trust. Right. On top of that, you'll you'll go, you'll trust one person's recommendation from the community that you know more than five reviews of four yeah. stars on Absolutely. any site still, yeah. right? Yeah. So Matt, if, if this is so prevalent in the way that we as consumers are getting our information, building trust with products and services, why aren't we talking about it more in marketing? So, you know, the, there's a there's another party that's involved here. It's not just you and your community. It's the it's the marketing tech that we use. So, a lot of companies have built their business model around serving ads to people or giving us better analytics uh, around what kind of marketing efforts. There's a huge it's a huge industry in the marketing world, and it's not. The problem is there's just actual limits to what marketing tech can do and what it can track. But all of those companies have incentives built in. It's just money, basically, to serve us the information that they can serve us and then convince us that that is those are the metrics that we should really be paying attention to. So, you know, whether it's Google that wants to, to get you um, to invest in uh, SEO or SEM services or Facebook or LinkedIn want you to be spending money on ads. You know, an example of this is so, uh, you know, Facebook, social media, LinkedIn platforms, they get money by ads and they get more money, the more ads that they show to people. And so it's they've been incentivized to convince us that shorter videos are better, for example, because they want you to keep scrolling. They don't want you to stay around and yeah. look. And so Facebook has decided that three seconds is a view, right? And so you create videos that get three second views and they tell you that that's working and then that's really great but it's not really necessarily the thing that's actually working it. And so we're so bought into a system where we want to be able to directly attribute yep. revenue to things that we can track. Yeah. And the, the problem is what typically actually happens now is that you have to rely on multi-touch, right? People have to be exposed to a brand or an idea multiple times before they're ready to buy. But like, like 11, I think right. is a number that I've heard before. Yeah, and so you're. Which is a lot. <laughs> 11 is a lot of times. If you're a marketer and you're trying to get in front of someone 11 times before they're ready to buy, you know, that's a lot of investment. It can't all be paid. That's that's one challenge for a lot of these companies, partially because be the we don't trust. Ad. It can't be the same ad. And so I, I think maybe one way to flesh this out is just thinking through what an actual buyer journey looks like a lot of mm. times. So what might happen is say like Paige, you post something on LinkedIn and someone sees it and you're talking about copywriting. Someone who's who's not a customer of yours, but is a friend uh, 
likes it. And then someone that they know sees that their friend liked that post and thought, oh, this is really great. And so they bring it to their private company Slack channel. Yes, and they I'm share, going viral. They share a screenshot. She's going viral in you know the private company Slack channel. Uh, the the VP of marketing sees it, finds out that we have a podcast, listens to the podcast, and thinks it's really smart. And so then oh, and they, now they want to work with David. And so then they go to Google and they type in. Oh, they've realized we need a video, and so they type in uh, you know Pepper and Creative, and they go to they they land on your website. They fill out a form, and if you look at your marketing software, it's going to say Google search was how they found yeah. you. And so if you so look at that say organic. as the metric. It is organic, I guess. Yeah. But different organic. Right. And they're going to, and, and David, if he was relying on that, might think, oh, I guess I need to invest more in SEO and SEM right. to get more Google search. Google right. is a very greedy, uh, a greedy channel. It wants to take credit for everything. And so that's why you see tons of marketing budget going to that. You wouldn't think, oh, I should spend more money on creating good content, organic right. on LinkedIn or a great podcast, because those are metrics we just we can't track. So it's it's really the key thing here is it's really important, I think, to be to have one eye on your ultimate goal, which is usually something like revenue or maybe booked calls through your website with qualified customers, and then comparing that to your overall marketing budget. It all has to be inclusive. And and it, I mean, the good news is that it means you spend more time going with your gut and thinking about, is this good content? And less time thinking like, oh, does the orange button or the blue button lead to higher conversion rates? Because that kind of stuff often doesn't matter as much as some of this other stuff that we're doing before we get to uh, the dark social side of things. You're not saying that paid social, uh, you know, Google ads, things like that are something that we should abandon entirely, right? No, I, I don't think so. But I do think uh, we shouldn't, it shouldn't be the only piece of the marketing mix. Uh, the way I'm really thinking about it these days is that you have, you have demand capture and you have demand creation. And these are two different things that you need to be mm. investing in, right? Mm. So demand capture, someone has some sort of intent. They already know they have a problem. They know a solution exists and they're going out to look for that solution. And so a lot of the ads, a lot of direct marketing is that if you show up one time in someone's feed with an ad and they click on it and buy, that is a person who has already been warmed up, primed has enough knowledge that they're just waiting for the right solution to come along right. or they're yep. going to Google and they're looking at it. And to be honest, this is an area where I think I have some disagreement with how StoryBrand and Don talks about marketing versus branding. I think a lot of times I, there was a conversation among some StoryBrand guides recently about a video. It's, I think it's like three years old at this point, but it was about how companies who are under 50 million shouldn't be investing in branding. They should just be investing in marketing. And the terminology was a little fuzzy there, but essentially what he was saying is you should be doing direct advertising. You should be trying yep. to like get people to, to click, to download, to buy things. It's very like call to action oriented. And I think that that's true to an extent, but that's all demand capture. Like you can only, you're not creating demand 
if you're just trying to get them to take an action. Right. That other section is like you need to you need to move people who are unaware of the the problem or unaware that there's a solution into a buying cycle. Yeah. And that's creating demand. And that's what happens in dark social, you know, when you're creating helpful, useful information that people can share that they find actually solves their problem without yeah. hiring you. That's the stuff that starts to get legs in these other channels. Yeah. Well, and if you're not thinking about demand creation, you're missing out on a huge potential audience and potential buying pool Absolutely. because mm -hmm. you're you're cutting out anyone but the folks who already know I have this problem pretty much know what my solution is. And now mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, okay, who do I hire for this? Yeah. yeah, 100%. I can imagine quite a bit of pushback from marketers, whether they're within an agency setting, freelancing, inside, uh, you know, on the client side, maybe they'll be worried that they won't be able to show their clients, their bosses, et cetera, that their efforts are worth the investment, um, you know, because they've been relying on these, you talk about vanity metrics a mm -hmm. lot. Um, how do you counter that? Um, like what, what kind of education can, can we offer as the three of us, or can, can they offer to the powers that be to help them mm -hmm. understand like, Hey, dark social needs to play into this. Yeah. I mean, it, it for sure that's like the biggest challenge because it's it is a mindset shift and it's hard like i would love to be able to say to my clients if you put a dollar in three dollars will come out the other side and it's going to follow this pathway um you know this many this is the conversion rate at each step of the way and we just need to spend this much money to get this many customers but the the reality is it's you know actual buyer journeys jump all around uh but we like things that we can attribute directly to ROI. So it, it does start with education and a mindset shift. And there are there are difficulties convincing people who are looking at those metrics sometimes to, to change their mindset. They just wanna know, well, what is the actual ROI? I work with a lot, a lot of accountants and that's all they wanna know is if I spend money, what is the result going to be? And, and it's not always so direct. What I would say, there's a couple of things you can do that are pretty easy. So if you want to try to convince your, uh, your, you know, whoever's above you, your client or your boss or whatever, that you should be spending more time creating demand and less time just capturing it. I would add to your contact forms, uh, an open text field that just says, how did you hear about us? And it needs to be an open field. You can't have a drop-down menu because if it's a drop-down with options, people, there's a bias to the first one or you're not going to get enough information. Oh, really? Well, yeah, you're going to, if you have, if you have these options, some people just want to get the form filled out. And so they click the top one, whether or not that was true. So you can't Damn. trust it as yeah. much. Or you're, you're going to have too many and people right. are going to get overwhelmed. And in that case too, the other thing that can happen, because it's happened to me, is the exact way that I was referred or heard about them mm -hmm. isn't quite listed or it's like between two. And then I'm like, I, yeah. I don't know. And then you miss as, as, the, <laughs> as the company, you miss like mm -hmm. the true nature of what that is. It's a lot easier. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that recommendation. Do you make it a required field? Yes. I just you want make to know it if you make it required. Field. Okay, because literally I'm... I'm going to my website to do this like as yeah. soon as um, as soon as we finish here because that feels like such a simple actionable thing to do like mm -hmm. let's all just go do it today. Well, I think everybody I think okay, so I 
again, I work with a lot of accountants. They all say they're the source of their uh, business is referrals and word of mouth, but they don't actually know what is the catalyst that turns into a call or like a Google search, right? Was it a conversation? Was it that they were at a conference together? Did someone mention it in a private Slack group? Did they see it on LinkedIn? Did someone forward them an email? You wanna know those sorts of things, but you're really looking, it's qualitative insights rather than quantitative, but it's it's attributed to the actual qualified leads that you talk to. So I'm not gonna get deep into it, but there a lot of the like the funnels that we're tracking these days, we don't actually go through all the way to the end and see how many people go through the funnel and become a customer yeah. or attribute the funnel to why they became a customer. I, for example, like I don't mind, I, I appreciate a good ebook or a resource, but usually that's like, that's like step four of five in my search, not step one. Yeah. And so this idea that I'm going to download an ebook and then I'm going to be nurtured by emails into a customer, that's not how I buy. And I don't think it's how most of my customers buy. I will probably watch someone on LinkedIn. I will listen to them. I'll get on their email list or yeah. something. And then I'll download the ebook. And then the next day I'm going to set up the call because I just right. want to see what's the proof of what they're talking about. But it's like yeah. it's way further down the funnel instead of at the beginning. Which is exactly what you're talking yeah. about with the whole idea of dark social, because if you only look at the metrics and the analytics, mm -hmm. you would be biased toward an assumption that, oh, people are buying, people are downloading this lead gen, this PDF, this ebook, whatever, and then they're mm -hmm. buying. Oh my gosh, this is totally look working. How massively look effective how effective this it is. is. Right. When really what's yeah. happening is like you're saying, there's all these prior steps that we don't have a window into. So mm. with that being the case, Matt, how do we as businesses get a window into that? Like if we can't track, <laughs> if we can't track, how do we know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's the, the form field is kind of where you start. I would say the, the best performing content is not always the most effective content, right? So we just had Memorial Day. We we could have all put on our LinkedIn some really nice pictures of flags flying and talking about like how important this again, right? Yep. And and it's gonna get a lot of likes, but it's not necessarily the sort of content. It's not it's definitely not the sort of content that's gonna turn into business. And yeah. so if you just track engagement unless you're a flag unless, manufacturer. <laughs> that's right. So if you're in, if you're in flag manufacturing, um, disregard. And then you're almost it's almost better to not post anything on that on a yeah. holiday like that because then it's like oh wait they didn't post anything what? Right. Imagine a day without flags. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the number one thing is is qualitative insights to begin with. So are you getting good comments on your posts? Is it resonating with people? Are you getting, you know, in your email list, are people replying and saying that was really helpful? Because that's the that's the kind of deep content that is actually helping move people towards a buying decision, not just the stuff that is, you know, kind of fluffy, um, yeah, surface level content. So that's, that's where I would start. It, it's a hard shift, though. Yeah. It is. I think this this goes back to the the idea of marketing for thinking, feeling humans, right? Like not not all of the insights that we gather about the effectiveness of our marketing and where our businesses are going with marketing can be nestled into a nice little spreadsheet. You know, like we we really have to spend some time not crunching numbers, but 
reading and understanding people's motivations. And um, it's it's not something that, you know, marketing tech like HubSpot, et cetera, can, can just spit out in a monthly report. So it's maybe going to take a little bit more work. Um, but if it's something you can build into a workflow and, um, you know, make part of your regular reporting, um, especially if you're thinking about like, the campaign level, it's it's going to be something that becomes a habit. Yeah. Let me, so let me talk, I'll tell you what I'm doing right now and, and how I'm thinking about how do you, how do you make, it's, it's really, it's not the sort of thing that you can make dark social work for you. It's more that it's a thing that you need to be aware of as a marketer and be considering like what, what's the type of stuff that's going to get into those channels? Because I mean, ultimately I believe that those are the most important channels. I get almost all of my business from other accountants because they, they accountants know accountants and they talk about my, my business or they're going to forward an email. And so first off, I think that it's really a lot easier when you have a defined niche to be able to like communicate in a way that's going to, that's going to resonate within a tight community. So the communities we're talking about are like private Facebook groups for an industry or like masterminds or, you know, like I said, Slack channels or Discord or or Reddit communities. Those are all kind of like direct connection places. But those are those communities are centered around like a, an identifier. Yeah. People think of themselves so like-minded example, individuals. Yeah, but it but it's all it's not just like-minded. It's people who give themselves the same label. So I don't. There are no groups for professional services people. Like no one joins a professional nope. services, private Facebook group, nope. but they'll, they'll, they're tighter clusters. They're tighter. Than that. Yep. And so they'll join a, a, a Facebook group for CPAs or accounting firms. So, um, that's where I would start is thinking about like, who's, who's a narrow audience that I'm going to be focused on. Um, the next thing is I'm trying to create content that is helpful and useful and solving problems like in feed or like at the beginning, it's not gated. I think that a big part of this is ungating your best content yeah. because the only way that it travels is if it's shareable. Yeah. Uh, and so it's posting in public, it's, it's putting, you know, you might, it's not to say you should get rid of that ebook that gets them onto their email list, but I'd probably take that content and turn it into a series of LinkedIn posts as well, um, or, or into like mini videos that you can use in other places. So don't, don't hide behind it. I mean, we're, we're dummies not to repurpose. <laughs> um, I mean, why, why do all that upfront work and then not, not give yourself additional opportunities to share all of that right. great information? Mm -hmm. You can always offer the, the full resource, mm -hmm. you know, in the right. comments or as a link in your video description, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, don't, don't hide that. Well, and the away. reality too, is that by providing value to your audience, you have to think about where your audience is going when they're looking for whatever that thing that you're providing them is solving or is going to connect with them in a more, you know, realistic and human way by if it's an ebook, it's not going to show up when someone searches how do what's the best CPA. When you do a search like that, you're going to get 
and, and just because of the way search engines are all built, whether it's Google, whether it's any of the others, is that they are weighting certain things like video content more heavily. And mm. so those are going to be like, like for, for the, the moment. moment, right? Well, that's the other big thing too, is it's like, <laughs> you gotta, you, you can't, again, we talk about mm-hmm. a lot about how what worked six months, two years, five years ago, isn't necessarily working today. So you've got to always be thinking about that. But like by making it a video and by making it bite size, that's mm-hmm. going to be, you're going to cement yourself as a brand in someone's mind as helpful, which at least in my life, I when people are helpful with no seeming like, <laughs> I'm going to be helpful now and then later, um, <laughs> when you're just when you're just naturally someone that wants to provide value to someone else, that sticks in your mind. You you remember yeah. that. And yeah. and it's important to remember for brands as you market as well that like not everyone is ready, like Matt, you talked about earlier, not everyone's ready to make that purchase at the point mm-hmm. where they're interacting with your brand and your content. It may be mm-hmm. a long time. For me, that was Casper, the mattress, the online mattress company. They were like one of the OG mattress companies to offer, like ship it to you in a box. And like I, for years, I engaged with them on social and just wasn't in a place to buy a mattress yet. And then finally that day came and I was ready. And it mm-hmm. had, I mean, the buying cycle on that was ridiculous. I mean, in general, mm-hmm. mattress buying cycles have to be long, right? It's not like we're yeah. out buying. I mean, most people aren't out buying new mattresses seasonally or whatever. And, but <laughs> since that Right, yeah, I know, for I'm yourself, sorry. Buddy. Since that first mattress purchase, <laughs> now as like life has changed and like we now have an extra guest bedroom and stuff like I'm not I don't have to think, hmm, which mattress company is the best? They have built themselves up to be the company that I go to for that thing and that cost them yep. so little early on to build that brand yeah. recognition and connection yep. so that I'm mm-hmm. now a customer for life. Yeah. Well, and what happens is They've they've created demand on social media with you. And then when you went to Google, you didn't type in memory foam mattresses right. and then look at like what are all the options? Because there are, you know, dozens of options. Right. You went in and you you went to Casper. Right. And so the same thing is happening with our businesses is that, you know, Paige, when you're talking about copywriting, they're not going to Google and looking for a copywriter. They're looking for page worthy, right? Like that's the goal because inherently- That is certainly the goal. Yeah, if, if you type in, you know, accountant near me, it's inherently a competitive listing. Yeah. They are now comparing you to the yep. 10 other options. So you're seen as yeah. one of many options. You're not seen, you're seen as yep. a commodity. Whereas if they go there looking for your brand, you're not seen as a commodity. You're seen as a unique solution for what, what they're, they're looking for. Right. And it's not that you need to create something new and interesting every day for three years. You, you probably have to hit on like five or six points. The way I like to think about it right now is what are the, what are the mindset shifts that need to happen before a person is ready to buy? So, you know, when we think about story brand, someone needs to believe first that clarity is really important. If they don't believe that, they're not going to want our you know, story brand guide services. Next, they need to believe that they can't do it themselves or they can't do it well enough. And so you're, you, you come up with what are these five things that a, we'll call it like a market qualified customer, a small business owner who has a terrible website, they need to, they need to believe 
you know, five to six things before they're ready to be a customer. Those are the five or six things I'm going to try to hit again and again. And you, the deeper, what I found is the deeper you dive into solving specific problems for a smaller group of people, the more you realize that you have to say, or the insights that you have, there are layers and layers. And so you're not coming up with new ideas every day. It's that you're hitting the same ideas from a different angle over and over again. And that pays dividends down the road. Yep. It's that hub and spoke model of content creation. Um, And it also, it takes so much of the pressure off of you when you're not just constantly reinventing the wheel, you know, every day. Um, it, it reminds me actually one of, one of our live studio attendees, Sarah Hackman, um, is a wonderful designer and she does a lot of packaging design. And I've noticed on her LinkedIn, a ton of really insightful posts about packaging that she spotted in the wild. It's not, you know, it's not contrived. It's not, um, it doesn't feel super pre-planned, but she knows that packaging is a sweet spot Mm. for her and she has a lot to say about it. And it's super effective. She gets really fun engagement on the posts and she's creating an environment where people associate packaging with Sarah Hackman. And that's, that's the kind of thing that we, we want for our clients. You know, I want people when they think of medical malpractice insurance, I want people to think of my client, Jennifer Wiggins, because she has done so much work guesting on podcasts, writing blog posts, showing up on social, talking about all of these different topics. A big part of that for a lot of people is just overcoming that imposter syndrome. I know that that was true for me. Like when, as I was thinking about like, well, what content is valuable that I could share with just share, you know, on our website and on YouTube and places like that. I was like, anything that I would say has already been said. Like you can already yes, search for this stuff, by you. but exactly. And so that's, it doesn't matter that the, it, the information already exists. Like it, it, going back to the Casper example, it doesn't matter that there's, I don't geez, at least 10, if not a hundred more memory foam mattress companies that can ship you a mattress. Like my relationship with them had already been secured. And so I was looking to them for that content. Like I don't go out and like, oh man, I love Casper's content. Let's see what all these other mattress companies, can I sign up for other Mm -hmm. newsletters? Like they must have some great Mm -hmm. content too. I'm a mattress geek now. Right, (laughs) exactly. I'm a mattress nerd. but like you, your ability to communicate content that you know well is so valuable to your circle of influence. It doesn't matter that it already mm-hmm. exists. So I would encourage you, I've experienced it in our own business, like stop telling yourself you can't do it because you shouldn't. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're missing out on really neat opportunities that you would otherwise not experience. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, let me just wrap this up uh, talking about Dark Social by mentioning that when we have a conversation and we name drop, you know, Sarah Hackman, go to her for design or buy your mattress from Casper, that is Dark Social at work. Those companies, those people, they don't know that we're talking about this, but people that listen to 
you know, a podcast that they like, when you mention brands, you know, there's nothing in it for us in those cases. That is much more trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And people are going to take that kind of mm -hmm. uh, conversation more to heart than uh, if, if we, you know, sent, if Casper served you with another ad. Yeah. So. Dark Social happening right here on Hello First Name podcast. I I think it's fascinating and I I love there's you know there's a lot of pernicious stuff happening, you know, in the world of platforms charging us to, you know, make a home for our marketing and um you know report on its effectiveness and just being able to reclaim some of those insights for ourselves and go a little bit deeper not by you know putting our nose in a bunch of numbers but actually coming up for a breath of air and and saying like oh there are people up here um it's it's refreshing um well we've okay, we've got a couple of people in our audience um including one sarah hackman um who's just getting all kinds of play on this podcast today um i'm wondering if there are any uh, quick questions that we can tackle for our AMA, and uh, and if there aren't, David, what can I, you not stop thinking about? So I can't stop thinking about a new-to-me TV show that is actually a show that's been around since 2020. It's a show called Home Before Dark, and it was part of the initial group of content of shows and movies that debuted with the Apple TV plus uh, platform. And it was a show that at the time I was like, I saw the trailer for it and I was like, man, this, this show looks really interesting. And I just haven't gotten around in two years to watching it, which is just kind of the worst, but also speaks to just how much great content we have out there oh now. I mean, if you look at this last week and everything that's come out just this week alone, it's ridiculous. But this show is so good. And I'm, I'm two parts kicking myself that I waited two years to watch it. And now like, I can't stop binging it. It's so good. So if, if you like mystery, like solve it as you go kind of television, definitely go check that out home before dark. It's awesome. Okay. Awesome. Matt, how about you? Well, uh, so I, I'm really into my garden right now. That's sort of the thing I can't, I, I have this idea that as an adult, you, you've got your like life stuff, you've got your, you know, home, family stuff, work, health, whatever, the like main health, buckets. Whatever. And beyond that, you have time in your life. You've got time in your life for a major and a minor, like of other things like that, that you, that you do with your life. And so uh, I volunteer with a, a summer camp. That's, that's my minor. And then my major in this season is, gardening and the yard and so i'm very i'm very happy with the garden that i have um it got some wood chips down i've got potatoes and tomatoes and peppers all oh you're doing veggies um, oh yeah veggies awesome. um we, we have some nice flowers around the yard as well uh and then i also i'll include this in in the whole yard i built myself some deck furniture nice that i was as very uh proud of so um, I'll, I'll send some pictures or maybe I'll post them on the, the episode page. This week in the show notes, <laughs> recipes from Matt's garden. Notes. Matt's establishing yep. himself in, How to in build dark garden social. <laughs> dark garden social. Yep. That's, that's awesome. That's, uh, right, that's my new band name. I, my husband and I started the 
the fourth and final season of Stranger Things over the weekend. And uh, before the first episode started, a black screen with white words popped up. And it basically said, we filmed this a long time ago, but we're aware that... uh, that some pretty tragic events took place in Uvalde the week of the week of its premiere, and so we want to basically put a content warning out there. Um, the first episode is freaking brutal, um, and uh, the whole season's pretty brutal so far, actually. Um, but having having that warning there, um, you know, as as someone who is besides just being a thinking, feeling human, um, I'm pretty removed from the, the whole topic. Anyway, it steeled me for what was ahead. And, um, it doesn't quite perfectly dovetail with the idea of consent in marketing, but just, just giving people that little buffer, um, to take a deep breath, remember that they have a pause button on their remote. Um, it meant a lot to me. Um, you know, it, it probably in the grand scheme of things, didn't take them a ton of effort to add a black screen before the first episode rolled, but I think it was really meaningful. So it's, it's those little things that brands can do to signal that they're human. Well, Matt, this was an awesome conversation. Um, I am still going to make fun of the term dark social, but I am also fully leaning into it. (laughs) I am going to update my website form today. Anyone who's listening, you should go to my website and fill out that form. Um, You know, because clearly- But not not until after you update it. Not until after I update it, but you know what? Uh, There's like two other people here who are gonna hear this before. By the time you're listening to this, Paige (laughs) will have updated her website. The form is going Mm -hmm. to be lit. (laughs) (laughs) Where can people find that form, Paige Worthy? Um, Well, you can go to my website, pageworthy.com, but the main event is at hellofirstnamepod.com where you can listen to all two of our episodes, um, watch our YouTube <laughs> videos. You should subscribe to our YouTube channel. You should definitely subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, and you should definitely subscribe to our emails so you can find out about when new episodes go live, when we're recording next, what our upcoming topics are, and you know, whatever else I decide to send to the list, but I promise not to abuse it. And you can leave any time because consent is queen in our world. <laughs> Until next time, I am Paige Worthy. I'm David Hepburn. And I'm Matt Banker. And this has been Hello First Name, the marketing podcast for thinking, feeling humans. See you next time. I am-